Our scripture reading today is found in Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Myra. Today, I hope you picked up a worship folder. And if so, I'd like you to get rid of all the other stuff around it and take the main part out. And again, as we do each uh, week uh, in this Revelation series, I want you to take out that section that says, What did you hear from the Lord this week? Because Jesus is going to be saying yet again, The one who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And I want you even now to be praying that God would open your ears to hear what he would say to you. And I'll have a time sort of of near the end of my message when we can stop for a moment and you can write it down. And I hope one thing that you hear God saying to you and you hope to respond to. I'll just tell you, this is a challenging text and topic that we come to this week. Uh, we know that when, when you follow the news, the news has been filled over the past month with all sorts of places around the world where people are being heavily persecuted. Now, what doesn't make it into our news very often is that Christians are consistently the targets of that persecution. Some people are suggesting that the the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world is reaching levels now that are historic, beyond what has ever been experienced in history. And somehow, in spite of that, that news rarely makes it to our media. Uh, Because of that, the bishops in, in Africa and some across Europe just this past month came together and put out a press release. I put a part of it up here for you to see. They said that the international community needs to quit shutting its eyes to what is happening, to see and admit the violence specifically targeted against Christians, and seek to bring an end to a growing global crisis. And then they went on to say that even Christian communities seem to be, and they said, half-hearted and pretending not to see. Now, brothers and sisters, here at Lake Avenue Church, I don't want us to be half-hearted and pretending not to see, right? So today I want us to open up our eyes, both to the fact that God is still God. He is sovereign over what's happening in this world, and yet at the same time, we have to open our eyes to the reality of the persecution of His people that has happened throughout history and is still happening now. Now, by God's providence, this text that Nancy read, I think we have come to the text in the Bible that I think is our best guide 
for thinking about this particular topic. It's, it's Jesus' letter. While John was in exile on this island called Patmos, uh, Jesus appeared to him and dictated letters to a group of churches in, in what is now Turkey, and in that part of Asia. And it's Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna. I mean, an incredibly beautiful city. Uh, it still exists. It's, it's now called Izmir. I-Z-M-I-R. But let, let's pull it back to the first century for just a moment to see what's happening. I, I have a map here I want you to see, to see where it's located. Some of you will be able to find this area pretty well. Uh, you see there the Aegean Sea. I think that will be on your left. Do you see it there? Patmos is pretty clearly identified. That's where John was and where uh, Jesus came and uh, appeared to him and, and dictated these letters. Then you see that part of what is now Turkey, Last week we saw Ephesus, which was the major city, fourth largest city in the Roman world, and the biggest, best organized uh, church was Ephesus. But you see just 35 miles to the north of it is Smyrna. Now I'll tell you, Smyrna was one of the most beautiful places in the world to live at that time. I mean, it, it had this extraordinary way of life. It was beautiful. It had this wonderful harbor it had a, a great school of science. Their own Caltech was there. It had stunning architecture. It had one of the best climates in the ancient world. It was a major tourist city. So I thought, this is a lot like Santa Barbara, California. <laughs> and, and the tourists who actually went there would call it the glory of Asia. But for the believers in Jesus who lived in Smyrna, it was a cruel city. Because they were undergoing a pressure so great that I think it must have felt like it was just going to crush them. So yeah, I want you to understand a little bit of what was happening. Not many years before Jesus dictated uh, these letters to these churches, uh, an emperor named Tiberius, was a, kind of a megalomaniac to tell you the truth, he had uh, issued a decree that there needs to be a city there in Asia where a huge temple would be built to him. <laughs> And guess which city won? It's not a heart. It's Smyrna. Right. So, by, just seeing if you're still with me here at 9 o'clock. By the end of the first century, when Revelation was written, the worship of this emperor became law in Smyrna. The citizens of Smyrna who went to any of their places of worship, any of their temples, not just the uh, Emperor Tiberius' temple, they had to go in and offer incense. And when they did, they had to declare openly, Caesar is Lord. And when they did, they would receive a certificate verifying that they had done it. And that certificate gave them the opportunity to go to the schools, gave them the opportunity to have uh, a work, and if you did not do it, you were not only viewed as being irreligious and called an atheist, but you were also viewed as a traitor and an enemy of the state. Now, are you beginning to see what it might have been like to have been a Christian in Smyrna? Because there is no way that any genuine follower of Jesus would ever burn incense and declare that Caesar is Lord because we believe that Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And the true believers in Smyrna had determined, they had made a specific decision that they were ready to make some huge personal sacrifices rather than, than to call anybody Lord other than Jesus himself. And because of that, it was inevitable that it was in Smyrna 
that the first heavy attacks against Christians began there in Asia. So, in that letter that Jesus wrote to them, he used three words for what they were going through. If you have your Bible, you can just look at that. The first word that he used was affliction. I think that's what Nancy read, or persecution. Sometimes it's translated tribulation. It's found in verse 9. And that word literally means under heavy pressure. It kind of feels like it's going to crush you. I, I, I got a picture here of something that it must have felt like. Have you ever seen these machines that crush cars? I, I was going to actually show you a video, but I thought we don't have time. You just got to get a feeling for the amount of pressure that was there. I mean, today, I mean, so often we say, well, I've been a lot, under a lot of pressure recently. Or I feel a lot of stress. I just want you to know they really were under pressure. I can imagine they lived almost every day thinking that that dock was going to come on their door, that they would be asked, where's the certificate that you acknowledge Caesar as Lord? They would say, I don't have one. They would be dragged out of their house, dragged publicly through the streets, and tried for treason. And that probably is, is a lot of what led to the second word that Jesus used, not just affliction, but also the word poverty. There are two words in the language of the book of Revelation, for, pro uh, for poverty. One meant that you didn't have any money to spare. And the other meant you didn't have any money at all. It's the second that Jesus used here. See, that, this was a wealthy city. You can imagine living in a very, very wealthy city and having absolutely nothing. And they were destitute. So we often so glibly talk about, oh, well, I'm living by faith. But that, that wasn't just a cliché. That was their lives. I mean, and we talk about our, our career difficulties. Career prospects for a Christian in Smyrna, you have to be joking. There were only two jobs that were open to Christians there. Slavery and begging. So, are you beginning to feel this? <laughs> so, afflictions and poverty, and that led to the third word that Jesus used, slander, if you'll see that as well. Now, I'm going to come back to this later, but let me simply say that the very people in the city that they might have thought they could go to those people and find help, you know, the safe place that they might have thought was safe for them in the city, had become the very place where they were slandered and they were being accused. In other words, with all of that pressure, when you feel that, you, you need to find a place of refuge, don't you? A, a place of safety. They had no place to run. And Jesus wrote them this letter. Now, as I uh, thought about this letter... I thought, we're not in the same place that the Jesus followers in Smyrna were in, right? So I've thought about several ways that this applies, and I want you to think about them. One, this letter, in part, prepared people for difficulty ahead. Number two, I, th I think it was a call upon people who are in good times to stand with and pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted now. And number three is where I'm going to end is that I think that when we live in privileged times like you and I live in here, and we can be here in church today, and I can just get up here and say, Jesus is Lord, without thinking that somebody's going to slap me into prison. When we live in times like that, we have to have eyes open for people in our neighborhood who are going through times of enormous pressure in their lives and use our blessing to bring God's blessing to them. So that's what I want to think about. It's worth coming to church to think about that, I hope. Let's see what God says to us today. Number one. I think this text is given to prepare God's people, to prepare us for persecution ourselves. 
what, what I want you to know is that these, of all these churches in Asia that Jesus wrote letters to, there are only two of them that he had absolutely no criticism about and no warnings for. They were doing things right. And, and the point I want to make is, these were the real things. They weren't just showing up. They were real followers of Jesus. These were good and godly people who were going through this kind of stress. So I can imagine many uh, of us saying, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus know what was going on? I mean, why would Jesus let this happen to his best people? And the answer when you read this is, yes, he knew. And, and, and uh, did you notice when... I hope you were listening when Nancy read, when she read, it's not just that he knew they were going through hard times then, but he knew that it was going to get worse in the coming days. He said that. He said, your suffering's going to increase in the future there in verse 10. He told them that the devil was going to be finding ways to slap them into prison. And he said that some of them would even have to be faithful unto death. Now, I'm going to tell you... <clears throat> I've got to address this here in Southern California. <laughs> in our human way of thinking, even in the life of the church, we usually think that God is only answering prayer when He takes our trouble away. When I ask for answers to prayer, it's always, well, this, I was relieved of this pressure, this difficulty. Jesus here, I hope you see, is saying that that kind of thinking about the world is incomplete. What he taught here and what the New Testament teaches consistently is that sometimes Jesus even sends us into those really difficult times. And he even wants us to walk in to those difficult places and be faithful to him in those places. And that he'll do something in our lives. He'll do something through our lives in those places. We are to be faithful to him in those places. So I've written this down just so that you see it. I think that Jesus wrote this letter, at least in part, for this reason. To get his people prepared to live courageously and faithfully through the trouble that was ahead. And I'll just tell you frankly, I believe that the role of any pastor who will actually take the Bible seriously and look at texts like this, the role of any pastor is to help you to be ready for whatever is ahead. No matter how hard it may be. That you will learn to live courageously and faithfully in the midst of whatever happens. Now, I'll just show you something that I find to be so interesting. You see in verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Do you remember last week I pointed out angel and messenger is the same word? And that I usually take this as the one who brings the main message from God to his people. Probably the pastor of the church. Many people think that the pastor of the, this church in Smyrna at that time was a man named Polycarp. Yeah, he was um, 25 years old at the time. Uh, so he would have probably been reading this letter about what was ahead. We know this historically. 61 years later, the then bishop Polycarp had, was seized by the authorities um, there in Smyrna. His own time came, and they said, you're an old man now. It's no reason for you to hold on to this. Recant. Confirm that the emperor is Lord. He was 86 years old. What would you have done? 
Okay, a couple of weeks from now when I get back again, I'm going to have Jeff Leo read some of the longer part of this powerful story. But I'll read you this part at least. There were a number of people there witnessing his interrogation. And this is what he said. Eighty-six years have I served Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme the king who saved me? And Polycarp was killed for his faith. The way I read it, these words that Jesus gave in this letter had laid a foundation for for Polycarp's life. They had set him on a path for life so that when the trouble came, when the death came, Polycarp knew what to do. And I want to do the same. So what did Jesus teach him? So I've just got to race through this, but I hope you'll make note of it. I I call it a Jesus-centered perspective on the world. We so often look at the world the way everybody else does. And, and the only good times when everything's going smooth for us, in our finances, in our relationships, there is a Jesus-centered perspective on the world. What is it? I'll just give you a couple of phrases. Number one, Jesus says in verse 8, I am the first and the last. I am the first when it all started. I am the last when it all ends. I am. And it really is saying that there is an order and a purpose to all that happens in this world. Jesus is just teaching that what happens to you isn't random. It isn't coincidental. Uh, There is an order, and Jesus is saying that He's the one who is ordering the things of this world. He is saying that in the first, uh, when everything was created, I am the one through whom everything was created. And at the end, when the last word comes, and it's Revelation 21 and 22, he said, I'm going to have the last word too. And at that point, it's all going to be great. Everything is going to be made new. And the whole point is that right now, when things are happening in your life, and you say, this is a mess. He says, it is not. I am the first and the last. You have to learn to trust me. I know what I am doing. In this first phrase, Jesus is asking you to believe that, that he knows what he's doing, even when he allows you to go through some trouble. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you really believe that? Second phrase, I died and I came to life. And it says that he's in control of all that happens, even death. Uh, When you remember what we talk about here so often, that Jesus came into this world and experienced the worst that this evil-filled world could throw at him. Homelessness, he experienced it. Poverty, he experienced it. Broken relationships, he experienced it. Uh, Death, the worst, he experienced it. And overcame it through a resurrection. When you really believe that, that's what we believe then you know that he has the power over any evil in this world, even death itself. I was dead and I am alive. That's what he says. So you and I go through those hard times of unemployment, sickness, abandonment, and here imprisonment and even death. Jesus' point is that the worst this world can throw at you will not last forever. We've got to be faithful while it happens. One little phrase really captures that in verse 10. He said, the devil is about to throw you into prison. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. You see that? Now you know that the devil wanted that tribulation to last always for God's people. 
But the whole way that it's put, it's a very Jewish way of putting it. Ten days. It's, it's, there's a set time for the trouble to happen. It will not last forever. And at the end of the day, if you look at verse uh, 12, physical death may come, but the second death will not come to you. Which means when you've been born again, made alive to God in that second way, that life could never be taken away. Nothing, nothing will separate the follower of Jesus, the true child of God, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, do you believe it? Point three he makes. I know. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the slander. And it's telling us Jesus, the one who's in control, isn't distant from you. He knows. That powerful phrase, when you read through the Bible, look for that phrase. He knows. So what it's saying is, Jesus says, he knows what you're going through. He knows why he's letting it happen, even if you don't. He knows what he's going to bring out of that situation. He knows what he wants to do in you. He knows what he wants to do through you, and he knows how he's going to use this actually to be a part of making all things new in the end. Uh, I know your tribulation, poverty, and slander, which leads us to the fourth Jesus-centered phrase that we have in verse 10. And I will give you the crown of life. And what he's saying is, I know how hard it is to be faithful but being faithful to Jesus is worth whatever it costs. That's what he's saying. I, I, re, I should really say more than that. It's not just worth it. In talking about this crown of life, Jesus is saying, when you actually are faithful to me, you find your life. I mean, you live for all this other stuff and think, if I had that, I'm alive. No, 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 no. That thing's going to let you down. Bring me into your life and yes, there will be difficulties at times, but you find the life I've made you for when you follow me. That's what he's saying here. So with all that in mind, that Jesus-centered perspective, I've got to ask you two questions. Number one, what do you think it means to follow Jesus? I... I think so many people think it means that I can get what I really want. I showed up at church. Surely he's going to, man, I endured that. Or sometimes I think it means that if, if I follow him, all my troubles will be taken away. Let me tell you, following Jesus simply means to be willing to follow him wherever he leads. And when you get there, to be faithful to him. Now, sometimes it is just the most beautiful. The, the business flourishes, the relationships. Sometimes, isn't it? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But sometimes, like for our brothers and sisters in Smyrna, just think what it meant to follow him. It meant the loss of their security, the loss of their wealth, the loss of their popularity, the loss of their reputation, the loss of their freedom, and for some of them, it would mean the loss of their lives. So you need to know this. You have to be ready to name Jesus as Lord, no matter what the world may do to you. Which brings me to my second question. Are, are you with me here? If you had lived in Smyrna, would you have been a Christian? You've got to be honest. 
And if not there, what makes you think that you would be a follower of Jesus in easier times? I mean, a real one. I just fear for what I see happening in, in the American church where people seem to get so upset by saying, oh, I went to church and nobody talked to me. Oh, I went to church. It was so boring. Uh, we have done something to this beautiful biblical faith that the Christians in Smyrna would never, never have thought possible. Uh, we've talked about it as being something that's easy, comfortable, status quo, even safe. And Jesus says, follow me and I'm going to take you into the greatest adventure imaginable. You're going to be walking into some times where the only thing you have is you and me. And then when you are faithful to me, you're going to find that I'm there. Life is never boring when you truly follow Jesus. So it's all about Jesus. And I think when we follow him, the question we constantly have to ask ourselves is this. Do I trust him? Will I be faithful to him? And when we do, we will hear him say what he says in this text. So don't be afraid. Verse 10. Be faithful to me, verse 10, and never forget that I know. Uh, I, I read this passage, I've been thinking, praying about it all week, and I think young Polycarp heard that so that when the difficulty came, he lived faithfully for Jesus. And I just want us to do the same. I want us to do the same. Now, there are a couple of other brief points I want to make. The second thing I see in this text is not just that it's getting us ready for whatever is ahead. The second part is it's a call upon us, I think, to uh, stand with and pray for uh, our brothers and sisters in the global church who are being persecuted now. Not everybody in uh, these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, not every church was persecuted like the Smyrna church was. The church we saw last week, Ephesus, they were doing pretty well in a... Um, a few weeks we're going to be looking at Laodicea. They were rich. No, they were self-centered and ungodly. Why is it that the suffering ones... <laughs> why did the suffering ones... The, the, I keep saying, Lord, help me to be faithful to you in the good times so you don't have to send these times. So I just want you to know that not all of God's people are always going through these sorts of times. But one of the messages that's consistent in the New Testament is this, that when our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are being persecuted, they should know they're not alone, that brothers and sisters like us are standing with them, supporting them, and praying for them. So here we are in the United States. We're not yet in a time where we are a church persecuted like Smyrna. And then as I said Right now, all over the world, our brothers and sisters are being persecuted in ways just like this. Now, last night I talked about this, and, and, and a couple of the people said, Pastor Greg, I didn't know that. Where do we learn about that? And why don't we hear about that? And I don't know why there seems to be a cone of silence around the fact that Christians and churches are being persecuted. I don't know why it is that I can't turn on the news and pick up the newspaper here and just, just read about these things that are happening everywhere. Churches being bombed and, and pastors being imprisoned and Christians being slaughtered simply because they're Christians. But I, I do know where you can get information. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to become more aware of what's happening than you've ever been before. Um, what I do is I found a couple of websites that I go to. I'll, I'll show you one if we can pull it up here. Uh, these are pretty easy to find. 
And if you say, I don't know how to get onto websites, ask your uh, child or your grandchild. They'll get you there. They'll get you there quickly. All right, the, the one up here I'm going to show you is the one I usually go to. Uh, it's called persecution.org. I find it so easy to use. Um, if you will look up there, uh, you'll see, you can't really see, but what happened is it keeps uh, moving uh, and telling you about different things that are happening. And on the left, you have a section in the middle. You have a section just about the Islamic world. The left is Far East. The right is Asia and other places. And it's updated every day. It's updated every day. So here I, I began reading about the church bombings in, in Pakistan. Hear about the church persecution in Morocco. And, and for our many people who have Egyptian heritage, about what looks almost like a systemic planned for countrywide persecution of Christians and, and, uh, as it's never been before. So I pull this up and I'll tell you when you start reading about it and you take out the individual articles, you can click on it. It's so easy. This is such an easy website to use. Just your heart goes out. I mean, if you love Jesus and love people at all, your heart goes out and you begin praying. Now, there are a couple of other websites that Scott made me aware of that might even be uh, more trustworthy. I'm not sure. Uh, one is persecution.com. So if you say, was well, that org or com, you can go into either one. And for those of you familiar with it, this is the ministry of the voice of the martyrs that was founded by Richard Warmbrand. Some of you are familiar with that. A very trustworthy place where you can get some good information. Or the other one, and a ministry that goes all the way back to Brother Andrew, it's called uh, opendoorsusa.org. Just, just, just the way I wrote opendoorsusa.org. So what I'm wanting you to do is to take some time to go on that. Maybe when you get up in the morning, you know, just before your prayer time, look and see what's happening with brothers and sisters around the world and, and begin praying for them. Uh, Scott has visited often many of the churches where people are being persecuted. I've, I've been able to visit a few. Uh, Scott, you've been to quite a few. And he and I were sort of uh, comparing notes and Scott pointed out and I put it up here so you can see this quote uh, from Scott uh, what we always hear always hear is this we say uh, what can we do as an American church and people say please pray for us and always this phrase and especially our children especially our children uh, I imagine when we begin praying, God is going to, the Spirit of God will lead us in other ways that we can stand together with our persecuted brothers and sisters when we are not experiencing persecution. But at least consider these words from a Pakistani pastor that showed up on that persecution.org. He said, our people have been killed. No one seems to care. I want us to care. I want us to care for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. Let us pray for them what Jesus asked, that they will not fear, that they'll be faithful to him, and that they will know that he knows and that he's near. In fact, maybe this would be a good time just to pull out uh, that card that I asked to or find it on your um, worship folder. Is the Lord saying anything to you about either of these first two points? Make note of that. Some people are making note on their phone and keeping it in their, uh, in their list, their menu that's there. Which brings me to the last point that I want to make. I think that when we're experiencing good times, one of our issues of stewardship is to find ways to bring blessing, yes, to the church global that's persecuted, but also God has planted us here in this neighborhood. And you know, right here in this neighborhood, there are people all around us 
who are undergoing great stress, great pressure, great difficulties. And I want us to be in, in these times when we are experiencing some real privileges and blessings. Don't you think we're blessed? I mean, just, just look at being able to meet here today. We are so blessed. Uh, when we are experiencing this kind of blessing, uh, the stewardship is that when he's placed us here in this neighborhood, we open our eyes to the fact that there are some really hurting people in our neighborhood. And I think that this text calls us to that. Maybe you say, Pastor Greg, I know that that's a biblical teaching, but where do you see it in this text? So you have your Bibles in front of you. I want to show you something that I bet you didn't notice. Did you notice one thing seemed rather harsh uh, in the words that, that Nancy read? It's in the second part of verse 9. Jesus said, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. They are really a synagogue of Satan. We don't have any uh, praise choruses written with, with that phrase. You need to know throughout the centuries, people have actually used these words to persecute Jewish people. These were the very words that were used in Nazi Germany labeling the Jewish gatherings as synagogues of Satan, using this. Many people have read this and, and, and just misunderstand it. They said, well, it must be that Jesus and John, who wrote it, were anti-Semitic. What do you think? I'm telling you, they were not anti-Semitic. They were Semites. They were Jewish. So here's, here's the way, I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I read the Bible and I come to something like this that's just baffling, it makes me start chewing and thinking and, and praying about it, and I find something here so significant. There was a significant Jewish community in Smyrna. In fact, many of the most successful people in the marketplace were Jewish in Smyrna. And at that time, in Smyrna and actually throughout much of the Roman Empire, the Jewish people and the Jewish people alone had been given a special privilege they and they alone, because of their religious heritage, they and they alone did not have to say that Caesar is Lord, that the emperor is Lord. Now, for a number of years in the early days of the church, Christians also had that privilege uh, because they were simply viewed as a branch of Judaism. Do you know that? So the, but there in Smyrna, there was a group of Jew, Jewish people that didn't like that. And so whenever the Christians would come and say, let's stand together, because we know that if we believe in the God of the Bible, we can only say that there is one God and the emperor is not God. That instead of finding that to be a safe place, that's the very place that they were accused and turned in so that they'd be imprisoned. Um, the very phrase, synagogue of Satan, the word Satan really means accuser. So instead of them, and, and the way the Bible relates it, and what Jesus is getting at is this, that the people of God have been drawn together, the Old Testament people of God, the people of Israel, and the main purpose was to further God's purposes in the world and to reflect His ways to this world. And that's what we're called to do as well. But here in Smyrna, you had this particular group that were doing just the opposite. And that's why Jesus says, they say... They're God's people, the Jewish people. But they're doing just the opposite. They become the accusers of God's people. They've used their privilege to work against the work of God. Now I'm telling you, here we are in a place of great blessing and privilege. And I want us to be a place that when people look at this church, 
They know that even if they believe in Jesus or not, if they are going through times of great pressure, there will be God's people here who reflect his compassion and his ways and his love and his welcome to anybody who comes, why ever they come, whatever the problem is. I keep thinking that that big cross towering over the 210 makes it into almost every sermon I preach. (laughs) That cross declares to everyone that the Jesus who died on that cross used his place of privilege not as something that he would hold on to, Philippians 2, but to bring blessing to us. Amen? And so when he entrusts us with blessing, then the stewardship that we have to have is to use what he's given us to bring blessing to the world and reflect the ways of God to those around us. Brothers and sisters, I think that's our calling in these days. That's our calling in these days. I want hurting people to know that when they walk past this church, they can just walk right up and they're going to come to our welcome center and they're going to have people who say there, we care. Uh, we don't know what's going on, but we'll, we'll, you're not alone anymore. So I've written it down this way. When we experience times of God's blessing, we should pass that blessing on to the world around us. My conviction is that when we have the opportunity and the resources to do so, our church is to be a refuge as God is a God of refuge and the very present help in times of trouble. How do we do that? I'm going to ask Nancy Stiles. Nancy, if you'll come back again, I I just want to tell you, I am so thankful that you're willing to step into this role as the executive director of uh, the foundation. Um, Nancy, you you may not know this, she married pretty well. Uh, Adam sitting down here. Adam is my friend, and he's chaired our ministry council for so many years. I I keep saying you abandoned me, but you didn't, Adam. But... uh, They have been so actively and involved in the life of the church. And Nancy, during all that time, has been very involved in our neighborhood, working with the foundation, very involved in uh, teen mops when when moms don't know what to do with their kids, uh, very involved in so many ways. And Nancy has tremendous leadership skills, and we believe this is God's appointment uh, to have. The foundation is targeting specifically fulfilling that last part of my message, I know. So tell us, Nancy, a little bit about how you see us being involved. Absolutely. Thank you, Greg. And I'm just so thrilled that we're talking about this today, about how we here at Lake Avenue Church, this church family of ours, can be a blessing to our community. And uh, I've been here my whole life. I grew up at this church, and Adam and I love this church body and and consider it our family. Um, So let me tell you about how I got involved at LACF. I started as a volunteer eight years ago, and it was a group of women that were praying about starting a ministry to pregnant and parenting teens in our community. And I can't actually think about uh, a person that is more uh, under more pressure than a young single mom in our neighborhood. So as we prayed and talked about that um, and planned for that first meeting, eight year, fall of eight years ago, uh, I had the thought that do pregnant teenagers even want to come to, to our church? Would that even be a place that they would think that they would be welcome? So the night of our first meeting came, and I really didn't know if anybody was going to show up. Uh, and sure enough, one, one at our very first meeting, mom walked through that door, and she was very young and very pregnant, 
And I could see this look on her face of, is this a safe place for me? Can I trust these people? Well, she kept coming back, and our group grew. And eight years later, I can tell you that uh, those women have grown. Um, I've gotten to watch their children grow, and I've gotten to watch them experience the living God and the love that he has for them and that he sees them. And that's what I want for people in our community. That's what we want for our children that participate in our after-school program, in our mentoring program, that they would see this as a place of belonging and a place of meeting Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to respond in two ways today. The first is that I'm going to call our ushers forward, and we're actually going to pass the offering plates a second time today and give you the opportunity to give. And you may wonder why we do that, why we take offerings for Lake Avenue Community Foundation. And it takes resources and money to do all the things we're doing in the community. Um, And you may not know that our our support for students doesn't end at high school graduation. Um, We have over 40 college students that we're in relationship with, first-generation college students um, from our community, from our neighborhood, that uh, we mentor and support, and some provide even financial resources to. So it does take funding to do what we do, but that's not why we do this. That's not why we take an offering for Lake Avenue Community Foundation. We take an offering so that you as our church family can share in the blessing of caring for the poor. That's why we do it. That's why we ask you to give um, when we take offerings uh, specifically for LACF. So if you want to contribute by check today, uh, can you please make sure that you write it to Lake Avenue Community Foundation or LACF when you do it? But I'm going to ask you to respond in a second way as well. I want you to think about how we are privileged and resourced here Uh, in this church family, and think about how God may be calling you to use that privilege uh, to stand with those in our community. And that may look different for all of you. That may be you coming and sitting with a third grade student and doing math one afternoon a week as a tutor. That may mean that you want to mentor a young person. It may mean that you want to serve at our community meal on Sunday nights. Or it may mean that you're called to pray for those who are standing in relationship with those in our community. I'm going to ask Greg to come and pray for our offering before we take it. So, Nancy, they should write L-A-C-F. Make sure you add that F. And if people are sensing God would have them to serve, they can drop you a note. Absolutely. So that's mm-hmm. Nancy S. Mm-hmm. at lakeav.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I hope and I'll also be up front after the service if anybody call. wants to come and, and talk to me directly about ways to get involved. Thank you for reminding me for, <laughs> of that. Well, let's pray. Father, we have heard your word. We know that there are so many people under great pressure in our community. These young moms who wonder, how am I going to do this? Moms who want their kids to stay out of gangs and out of drugs, but sometimes feel alone. Kids who sometimes feel abandoned by their parents and in places of danger. Father, you've placed us here to be a balm be a place of your refuge to tell people about Jesus and to show people the ways of Jesus so now Father as we give to support specifically that work help us to have joyous generous hearts in Jesus name Amen